friends, welcome to Spirit Seekers. Uh, today is Friday, November 20th, and I am absolutely so pleased uh, to welcome our guest, Carlan Herzog. Um, as you know, Spirit Seekers intends to build community by helping us get to know each other at a deeper level. It also is an opportunity for us to learn from each other's faith journeys and life stories as we all work to build our faith, um, you know, throughout our lives. And uh, Carlan brings to us uh, her own unique perspective that it has been shaped by decades living in other countries. And uh, she, we all have unique lives and her story is uh, particularly fascinating from my perspective. Um, Carlan has an opening for us today. Um, so she uh, will give the opening and then we'll get started. And Carlan and I will be in an interview for about a half an hour, maybe a little more, and then we'll invite your comments and questions. So uh, thank you everybody for being here for Spirit Seekers. Uh, Carlan? Thank you to all of you. Um, I have a wonderful poem that was shared um, with myself and, and some others uh, that Dave Lightbody gave the other night. And it was written by a friend of his, Michelle Frost. I think that she is possibly a Scotswoman because the word honor is spelled H-O-N-O-U-R. So uh -huh. I suspect, you know, or she might be British. Anyway, this is really appropriate for the times that we're living in. In this year of 2020 vision, give us the clear sight needed to see through lies and illusions. Help us to heal our planet, our people, our families, and our nations. Allow us to see how all <clears throat> is connected and everything sacred. No nation greater, no species of less value, no race above another. Give us the wisdom to understand that anger at injustice is as much a sacred flame as love and forgiveness. Teach us to wield the sword of truth gently and with honor. Help us to once again believe in each other, our beauty, our frailty, our courage, and our compassion. Grant us the blessing of compassion for those who would destroy us through their ignorance or fear. And when the night seems dark and endless, remind us of that small enduring light named kindness. Let us carry it forward with us, each of us, all of us in every heart. Dona nobis pacem, grant us peace. Grant us peace indeed, that's beautiful. I'm just letting one other person into our Zoom gathering and they are here, so good. Well, Carl-Ann, um, I'm hoping everybody has read your introduction that you, you have a professional degree in psychology. You have lived um, in, uh, several locations in the United States, but in England and Libya and Norway. And uh, I think people are really anxious to hear about your life and how you um, came to be you. <laughs> so are, are we, <laughs> and how you ended up in Vermont. Um, 
I really enjoyed our conversation yesterday and I was really uh, taken by um, your what you had to say about your family and growing up. So one of the things we like to do in Spirit Seekers is really start with, you know, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your life at, as a young girl and um, how you started to form who you are. I was born in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so a Midwestern person to begin with. My mom and dad had a newspaper that covered the news for three towns called the Tritown News. And my mother wrote some of the stories and my dad was the photographer. And since I was an only child, when there was a story that broke at two o'clock in the morning, I got in the back seat with my mother and I went off to whether, whatever event was happening. So I do vividly remember um, a three car wreck that happened one night in the middle of the night. You know, when you're eight or nine years old, sometimes these things stick in your head. Um, and it was a particularly, you know, bad wreck with ambulances and fire trucks, um, police, everything. Um, and so, you know, I was there witnessing all of that about two or three in the morning. Um, didn't have lasting bad effects on me. It's just an event that I remember. One thing that I did when I was a small child to earn my pocket money, my father had a letter press and I used to do the business cards on um, hand cranked, um, you know, very old printing press. Mm -hmm. so I put one card in at a time on the, I don't remember what it was called, but it's where you placed it. And mm -hmm. then pulled back the um, handle so that you could print the ink onto the card. And then you had to open up the press, take the card out, and put the next one in. <laughs> so I got two cents per business card for that. So I love this picture of your family, Carolyn. I mean, <laughs> your parents, you can picture their lives. They're running a small paper. It's a small business, right? They've got some employees, but they're doing a lot of the footwork themselves. And you're on their team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't have a choice. <laughs> so you have all kinds of experiences, in, including some, you know, potentially traumatic uh, ambulance chasing sorts of experiences that a local journalist might, ex might um, experience. And um, my first reaction is that your parents had confidence in you and you had confidence in them. Um, that you, they, they thought you were pretty sturdy and that you could get through that experience. They could talk it through with you and, and you would move on. Well, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Did you know, they, um, were they the kind of parents who had big conversations with you? Did they share a lot of, about their work and lives with you? Uh, not really. They were so busy that I think we just kind of kept it together. <laughs> you know? Because, um, you know, they, they um, really spent probably, I don't know, 16 hours a day on the newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, so my mother, you know, tried to keep the house up and my dad was out selling, you know, small printing jobs as well as keeping the newspaper afloat. But we always, and this is back in the 50s, always went to church on Sundays. You know, it was that era when you went to church. Um, and it was a Baptist church, um, so I was 
raised with a lot of good Bible learning. Um, it was fairly conservative, but not, you know, not overarchingly conservative. And I started taking the piano lessons when I was about six. And I remember vividly giving three piano recitals um, at our church, um, which my parents' friends attended, you know, mm -hmm. and one of them always sent me a little corsage, <laughs> you know, and then they'd have a little tea and cookies afterwards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, I got a write-up in the newspaper. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, I... I, I like this picture and you know we talk about the only child and I think oh, yeah. unless you've experienced your your or know somebody's story you don't know have any idea what you're talking about because I think it sounds to me like you had a lot of enriching experiences can you can you share a little bit about your early self as a person of faith your ideas about God your sense of connection with God I think early on when I was in college, undergraduate, I did not go to church. Um, when I graduated and I was teaching high school, um, you know, I was dating, of course, and I went out with a girlfriend, another teacher. We went to symphony, I remember vividly on Tuesday nights, and then we would go have a drink somewhere, and then <laughs> we would tease and we'd go somewhere and have, we used to call it teased and toe, because we'd had a drink. That's, that's, that's tea and toast. <laughs> Before we went home and went to bed and got back to school at seven o'clock in the morning, I do vividly remember telling one of my classes one time, please don't talk too loud. I shouldn't have had that drink last night. And the kids loved it. You know, I was like 22 years old. Some of my kids were like 17. <laughs> so so tell us about oh, your teaching, John. So together, you know. <laughs> Tell us about your time teaching, Carlanne. Well, um, you know, it was a, a time when the kids were really, um, they were there to learn. Um, I had good kids. I had some that struggled, but, um, you know, I had the time and I had the inclination. And I firmly believe that what led me in to get my master's in counseling was having kids who were really having a tough time of it at home. And I got very interested um, in learning more about trying to be of help to them. Mm -hmm. Some of them came from really hard situations. So when I, I taught high school home economics and when Carl proposed to me, I had an advanced um, class in, in clothing construction and the girls helped me make my wedding gown um, you know, sewed seed pearls on. And I mean, it was a wonderful experience. I had 40 kids come to the wedding, you know, high school kids. <laughs> and I vividly remember walking down the aisle and one of my, she was a high school senior. She said, that's the rose that I sold the pearls on. Isn't it gorgeous? <laughs> that's a lovely story. How did you meet Carl? Uh, Park Hill United Methodist Church, I decided that bars, bowling alleys, and whatever else, really, that just wasn't the place to meet the kind of man that I wanted to marry. Park Hill United Methodist Church had a young adult group called, appropriately so, Harvesters. So, <laughs> <laughs> what about um, 
I would say 60 young adult, all professionals, um, good mix, guys and gals. We met every Sunday night. We had a, a roster of who cooks the meal, you know, quantity mm -hmm. cooker. Guess who they always called on to plan the meal? <laughs> a home ec teacher. Um, I call on you too. <laughs> so anyway, um, I was president of the group and I saw this tall, handsome man across the room and I thought I should go meet him. Mm -hmm. Okay. And was that Carl? That was Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, 40, almost 48 years later. Wow. Yeah, and, and quite an adventure in between, I must say. I want you all to know that I've known Carl Ann for quite a long time, and Carl, and I never once said anything about their names because I figured everybody else had. So I just <laughs> wanted to give you all the chance now to hear from Carlin, what it was, what it's like, been like to uh, be, have Carl and Carlin be a pair. Well, I just smile, and I, as I said to Lucy yesterday, I have found people understand my name better when they hear that you know, my husband's name is Carl, for whatever reason. Um, you know, I say Carlin, oh, this is Carl. Oh, and you're Carlin. I got it. <laughs> Now your parents weren't Carl and Anne, were they? I've had that. <laughs> Charlotte or Charlene or and I'm just saying, look at how it's spelled. Oh, well, so so let's um, let's move on from that beautiful scene at your wedding with 40 high school students there, many of who've helped create your dress. Um, and and Tell us what was it like for you and Carl as, as a young couple? Um, he, he worked in the oil industry. And uh, where did, how did you get started? Well, <clears throat> I had one semester left to finish my master's degree in uh, clinical psychology. And he was due to be shipped off to North Africa to an oil camp. Overseas Exxon is called SOESSO. -E um, this is one square mile wide in the Sahara Desert, it's the lowest point on the Mediterranean. If you look at the boot of Italy and go straight across to North Africa, that's where we were. Um, and it was all oil. It was very oily. <laughs> you know, it was really like, is there anything else in life? So for perspective, the city of Winooski is about a square mile. Okay. So it's that size of a space. Um, Buckminster Fuller actually talked about putting a dome over Winooski, trying a dome city. So it's, a, it's about the, that size, but okay. totally surrounded by desert and, and Mediterranean Sea on one side. Absolutely. Mediterranean Sea on the, on the northern shore. Um, I remember vividly one Easter Sunday morning having uh, baptisms, you know, with our little church. We went up there. Um, like six o'clock in the morning as the sun rose. Um, and we had a man who had gone to Dallas Theological Seminary. He actually worked with training the Libyans in the training office. Um, and he baptized three people in our congregation who had not ever been baptized. And that was very significant. Um, we met in a schoolroom. Keep in mind, this is a Muslim country. We met in a schoolroom, um, you know, with a piano and a podium and chairs and tables. And those of us who felt that we wanted to and could do so, we gave 
homilies or devotionals. Um, I became the church pianist <laughs> and we had a man who wanted to pull a choir together. So we actually had Easter cantatas and, you know, yeah, we created our own entertainment um, because that's just, and I have kind of taken that experience and pulled it into where I am now in the midst of this pandemic. Um, we have to, you know, pull out of our resources in our mind, our heart, um, and do with what we've got, you know, to get through this pandemic. And it's, it's very difficult. Um, but I think it's a good time for reflection as well. Yes, and I think, you know, that experience in Libya for, this was a small congregation that was gathering, right? Oh yeah, probably like 25. 25 of you and to get permission to do that. And I think you, you were saying yesterday that um, it, you, a priest would come occasionally or a, a clergy person to give communion and right. you had that chance to gather even though it was in a, in a very informal space. Tell me about music, Carlan. I know you, you played the piano since you were young. How, how does the music relate to your faith? The music um, I think has always been something that seems to be needed or wanted, appreciated. I think all three of those words have always fitted into whatever church I've been in. Um, I have given piano lessons, taken piano lessons, depending on what country we lived in. Um, you know, I had a very hard time at the beginning of this pandemic finding any motivation to play. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was really happy when David said, would you, you know, work up some hymns so we can include them in the service? I said, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the worst part was recording it and sending it to him. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been stretching our technology skills, oh, haven't we? <laughs> Anyway, so um, in Libya, you know, pulling on resources, I, I, I seriously did not know what I was going to do with myself in an oil camp. I did not know how to play bridge. Many of the women played bridge. They enjoyed tennis, um, golfing, such as it was with, <laughs> there were a lot of sand traps. <laughs> <laughs> Great big Mediterranean for, for a pond. <laughs> so, but a friend came to our house one afternoon and she said, you have a piano. Do you play? I said, oh, yes, I've played for years. Would you teach piano lessons? And I said, I've never taught piano lessons in my life. She said, I will get the music from you from San Antonio. In two weeks, I had 12 students. Um, and off we went, you know, and we had our springtime recitals where the children all dressed up. And we had a little tea and cookies afterwards, and it mm -hmm. was very, very nice. Um, it really gave me something to hook into, and it was nice for the parents, you know, for yeah. sure that their kids were getting music. So, um, how wonderful for for those children and families, and and for you too, because that that wasn't um, you know for somebody who loves the arts like you do that that environment had some limitations, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No offense to Carl. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> desert. Um, so how long were you there and what was the next step? Five years. Wow. And I have to tell you when I first got off the plane, now you understand we were 
let me see, 600 kilometers, which is about 350 miles from Tripoli. So we took the company plane. That was a piece of work <laughs> across the desert. I got off that airplane and some woman walked up to me and she said, I hear you're the newlywed. Well, if you can keep your marriage together in this place, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely introduction. <laughs> How gracious. <laughs> well, I kind of found out that you were, I mean, party hard is part of camp life. And so there were kind of two groups, those of us who were kind of the church group and the other group who really kind of like there was a tennis club. Um, and there were some shenanigans went on, you know, um, and we made our own alcohol because alcohol is not permissible in Libya. So, mm -hmm. And the interesting thing was that the Libyans um, subsidized sugar. So you get 50 pound bags of sugar for like $5. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the engineers all put their knowledge to work and made distilleries. So Carlan, too bad I didn't know you were a bootlegger before this. So there'd be another 15 people here for, for the recipe. So uh, five years in Libya and you know, you're teaching piano, you're you're a leader in, in a small church, and uh, and you and Carl come back to the United States. We went to Corpus Christi. Um, I was seven months pregnant at the time. We had our son um, and then got sideswiped learned that he was hydrocephalic and he had to have surgery at 13 days of age. I was a mess. Um, fortunately, we had an absolutely wonderful neighbor who just was there for us the whole time. We had a very good neurosurgeon um, and really it was the better end of you know spinal bifida. All, all he needed was a tube you know, to run from behind his ear into his stomach to drain the excess fluid. Um, and he had a couple more surgeries, um, two in England and then two in Norway, and he's absolutely fine. But it was very mm -hmm. scary, and I, you know, absolutely. By then we had, you know, we always, um, wherever we landed, found a church very quickly, and we were um, recently accepted as members in a Methodist church, so we had support. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I was wrung out. I was, I was very, very tired, exhausted from a very long move, buying a house, having a baby, finding, you know, that he needed surgery. So that was a hard patch. That was tough. I, I bet that was because even with the assurance of physicians, you, you wanted to know that your son would be okay and to watch him develop normally and, um, you know, to make and to make sure the shunt isn't that what they're called the shunt yes, to yes. take the fluid off is working. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you were emotionally and physically exhausted from yes. from that experience. Yep. Um, but there, but there you were. Um, you know, and I this neighbor, you know, what a blessing that somebody new in your life was right there for you. It was wonderful, absolutely. Marge Brooks, I still remember. You know, this is like. I don't know how many years ago, 42 years ago, I guess. Yeah, so. Um, and I understand your son is- Oh, he's absolutely- adult, got a family. He does. Yeah, how wonderful, what a blessing. Kids, got his master's degree in library science. Yeah, he's fine. And they live in Pittsburgh, yep. Wonderful. Um, so you were in Texas for a while. We were in Texas six months and Exxon said, oh, we think we'd like to have you move to London. 
Oh, so with your four-month-old baby, you had to go to London. Six months. We'd six been months. there six months. Wow. Is it not closer to go from Libya to England than from <laughs> Texas to England? And I said, no, you're crazy. <laughs> I said, I haven't got the pictures up on the wall yet. <laughs> <laughs> so another six months went by and Carl came home and he said, they still want me in London. Oh, I said, okay. <laughs> so we packed up, went to London. And that's when they had the strikes in London under Maggie Thatcher. Oh, my goodness. So that was another challenge to go through. Um, but yeah, I, if anybody says, where was your favorite place to live? Absolutely. It'd be London for many reasons. Um, share, share a couple How, from, from your faith perspective. Um, and Many different perspectives. I mean, you know, um, of course, having common language is a, a big benefit mm -hmm. um, that helps a lot to begin with although the english probably think we don't speak english but we manage um we speak american which is quite different. <laughs> <laughs> you know but their ways are different um people mm -hmm. will say oh you're moving to england oh they're just like us they are not just like us um, you know, there's different cultures have different ways. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and, you know, whenever I'm writing to an English friend, I absolutely spell the way they do. Um, you know, drop the S, put the Z in and, and put in the U where they like to have it. It's very <laughs> natural. You know, it's very um, accommodating, but they will do the same way then they spell the way I do. <laughs> so, you know. Um, and our church was the United Reformed, which is uh, Congregational and Presbyterian. Ah. Yeah, so we were there eight years, um, wonderful pastors. And when our son was in the hospital, Great Ormond Street for sick children, which is world famous, absolutely fantastic. Um, our pastor, you know, took the train, which was half an hour into London. And he came, I still remember standing around Michael's bed, all of us holding hands and he was praying for us mm. and this was on the national health system we did not pay a single penny mm. totally free. so you know it sounds like church has been really important to you for forming community as you were moving absolutely um, yeah priority yeah. yeah um so you were there for eight years from having just a, ba a baby to having a little boy um, when you left there. And did you come back to the States or go right on to Norway? I we went um, from, you know, London to Houston, Texas, which turned me upside down. <laughs> British people and the Texas folk are quite different. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it was a big adjustment. Uh, I think, though, I, I think it was really hard for our son. You know, he was in what they call a state school, which means private in England. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. say state. It's private to us. And he wore his little uniform with his shorts, his white shirt, his necktie, his blazer, his little cap, carried a little satchel. Yeah. Um, he had an orderly life. He, he led an orderly life, you know, terribly posh. <laughs> You know, so it was a big shock for him. It was the time of kids wearing jams, those wildly colored Bermuda shorts. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I cried when he went off to school in my dad outfit. I just thought, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, we all adjusted, but there is a phrase for kids who are back and forth. They're called third culture kids. Mm. They really don't feel American or wherever their home country is. They Mm -hmm. don't feel British. They don't feel Norwegian. Um, They're a blending. Mm -hmm. Can be advantage, but it's also disadvantage, I think, for the way that they fit in when they go to school here, you know, for Michael, I think it was really hard for him. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a regret that I have about the international experience. Had I known more about it, I could have helped him more, mm-hmm. um, which later on, um, we'll get to that in the interview, I would have mm-hmm. had more information. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's so challenging because um, you know, when, when children are, have experiences that push them of like, like that kind of move, they can really develop skills and perspectives that they couldn't get any other way. Um, but it sounds like you experienced him missing out on that, those close sort of buddy relationships that already existed probably in that time. I didn't have any reference when we came to the U.S. Yeah. We're talking about films they were seeing, um, Mm -hmm you know, and various sports, and he was thinking rugby and cricket. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So did you stay in Texas very long? We were in Texas, like, I think it was about four years before Carl came to me. I was having a little afternoon nap, and he looked at me, he had that look in his eye. I got to know that look. (laughs) He said, what do you think about Norway? I said, I don't have a clue, except it's further north. It probably rains more than England. <laughs> anyway, so um, I must tell you about the, the Presbyterian church that we went to, um, north of Houston's where we settled okay. in the Woodlands. Um, wonderful, wonderful church. I took a three-year discipleship course there um, on, on one of our interim periods. Um, I unplugged you. It didn't work. Um, A three-year discipleship class, and then on another time when we were back at the same church, um, I was a Stephen ministry leader. Um, Nice. A very good experience as well. And we were always welcomed back. You know, Mm -hmm. the dogs are gone. Where'd they go this time? Mm -hmm. Now, so you got to use some of your professional training there in uh, Stephen's ministry. I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, did the Stevens ministry experience, was that a growing time for you? What did, how did you experience that? Um, I think it was definitely a growing period of time. Uh, I, I could see how, you know, all the Christian tenets that I had learned could be blended with the psychology that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with the Stephen ministry, mm-hmm. I, um, really integral to have knowledge, especially, you know, during this pandemic, I have one word that, you know, my life is revolved around that of transition. Um, mm-hmm. And I, before we part company or before we're done with this part of the interview, I really want to read a phrase for all of you that fits so perfectly 
where we are with these transitions because this we didn't choose this transition. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's difficult for all of us. Um, you have it right there right now, Carlyn. I think that I think this is the moment. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about it because that that really is the theme for you in your life. Oh, it absolutely is. Um, you know, and I think yesterday, Lucy, I had said to you that, um, you know, I was feeling kind of scattered and fragmented with all this moving. I really didn't, you know, Carl, you know, I mean, he had upheaval too, but it was his job, you know, so he knew that he was going to go point A to point B to point C, and he had his day structured. Um, mm -hmm. I went, I got on the airplane and I had what I called the empty calendar syndrome. Okay, mm -hmm. now what am I gonna do in the next place? I came up with something called thread of continuity that I had to have that so that when I got to the next place, I could dip into that. And that brought about another phrase, skills in my suitcase. Mm -hmm. um, so I could dip into that um, and maybe it would work to teach piano in this place or should I take piano lessons or maybe I can, um, you know, get into being doing some piano playing at church. So, you know, the self-reliance, I guess that's where I developed that as a single, you know, only child that probably started way back then, but I had to really develop it when I became an adult and started moving from place to place to place. Mm -hmm. So this um, transitions, um, which is just a big word in my life, probably the most difficult transition is one that happens outside our control or ability to predict has permanent undesirable consequences and occurs around us when the community is unstable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just says it, it's right there. So so talk about your COVID experience and how how can you link that to your your own experience and to your faith and where do you come out? I think when I finally realized, um, you know, okay, this is really a time during which I can't say I don't have time enough to do that, right? Mm -hmm. I do have time enough to do that. And I decided last spring that I was going to read a book by Walter Isaacson, and they're about that thick. <laughs> <laughs> he is a wonderful author. And I read the book on Leonardo. Huh. And here's a bit of trivia for everybody. Leonardo da Vinci simply means Leonardo who lived in the town of Vinci. <laughs> did you ever know that <laughs> you've had time to learn that fact <laughs> so there it's a town east of florence italy i always thought that was part of his name so but it was a wonderful book i loved it it's over 500 pages um carl's reading one about charlemagne and his empire and i haven't i have one on chopin i might dip into that but i haven't got a big book going right now and then I decided, all right, you have got this skill, piano. How come you can't? I had no motivation. I just felt so empty at the beginning of all of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think we are all feeling that. Um, and there's so much 
that goes on in Burlington. Carl and I both love the arts, um, active, you know, with the symphony and doing things at the Flynn. Um, yeah, that's all gone. Mm -hmm. so, um, we've done some things, you know, with uh, Middlebury had some good concerts. Um, the Berlin Philharmonic, actually, I nabbed a few concerts, but after a while, I'm afraid the computer doesn't cut it. Mm -hmm. um, for a little while, um, Janet Green was coming out to the house until we had this latest lockdown. And so we are not doing it right now, but we decided that, you know, we could be easily be masked and six feet apart um, from the piano to where she is with her cello. Mm -hmm. We were working on a Mendelssohn Sonata, absolutely gorgeous, and it, we just both had all kinds of notes to play. <laughs> so those, if I go back to those two expressions, the thread of continuity and the skills in your suitcase, those have really been like consistent through all of the transitions. Absolutely. You've gone to what is it that you can do? And I see those things, uh, especially with music, it brings joy to you, but it's, it's bringing joy to others too. And I know for, for me right now at this phase, with go, this phase with COVID and the restrictions, it's really helpful for me to think about where can I bring some joy? Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, helps to move me forward um, yeah. and, you know, to find, find a new path. So what, Norway had more than rain. It had a lot of snow and ice, right? Or am I wrong there? Norway. Norway. That's that's where we left off your story. What what was Norway like? Well, um, okay. So Stavanger, Norway, is on the North Sea, the west coast. Um, that was the oil city, and Oslo always kind of looked down on Stavanger as being a little fishing village on the west coast until all this oil was discovered back in the sixties. And that sort of sorted out fancy Oslo, which is on the Swedish border. <laughs> so there were 10,000 English-speaking expatriates. That's a lot. Out of a, out of a city of 100,000 Norwegians. Um, and here again, when we landed in, when we landed in Stavanger, um, you know, really a beautiful city. Uh, it's very condensed. Um, and kind of craggy, rocky, you know, steep hills. There's an old town that's fascinating to wander through. And of course, it's on the coast. So the fresh fish is wonderful. You can mm -hmm. go right to the harbor and, and, you know, buy your monkfish and your shrimp and just all kinds of wonderful things. Um, I actually took lessons um, from a Norwegian pianist for a while. Then I taught lessons. I got involved with the Stavanger International um, Church, which we had a Baptist pastor, no, sorry, Lutheran pastor. So it had a heavy Lutheran flavor. Um, he was an American man. They live back in Washington now, but we, um, we used to say it was the interdenominational Lutheran church. <laughs> he, he almost was more Norwegian than the Norwegians. Um, the Norwegians are not particularly, you know, they don't lean towards um, Christianity. They baptize them and marry them and then send them off, you know, as many like so, church. By the time you got there, your son is a teenager at this point. Yeah, he was, um, let's see, we were in Norway twice. The first time he was like 
11 years old. And then the mm -hmm. second time we went back, he was a teenager, right? And I know from our conversation yesterday, this is the point in your life where you were really feeling like you wanted to put your counseling skills to use. And uh, so I, I want to make sure you people have a chance to hear about how you started doing the workshops for folks, the training programs, and then how, how you ended up with your practice. Okay, we started, um, there were actually five of us, all English speakers. Um, we had one woman who was the wife of NATO forces were based in Stavanger and her husband was um, in the Marines. And Kit decided that um, we could form, we all had advanced degrees and that it would be, you know, a viable entity to start a counseling service for the English speaking community of which I already said there were 10,000 people. Um, we had a um, English man who had been an engineer for Statoil, which is a Norwegian oil company. He had gone back to England, gotten his advanced degree um, in counseling. So he was part of our team. We had the wife of the, um, the uh, general of the Naval Forces, uh, Barry McNeil, and she um, was actually a magistrate in the Anglican Church in England. She had her advanced degree. So we um, all had to go to the Norwegian authorities, get our credentials validated. They then told us what we were to charge. So we had the same level of fee as a Norwegian practitioner. Mm -hmm. We also um, had contacts for PhD Norwegian practitioner. If you know a client came to us and we needed to have further information and then we would pay that person with the doctorate, the Norwegian person. Mm -hmm. So it was all very well laid out um and we all had what was that experience like when you you were finally there you know after years of wanting to do this i loved it i really i liked it a lot and i did workshops i did one on transition i did one on these are two-day workshops i did one on the concept of friendship what is friendship all about how does it vary in cultures the women who were coming um were like me they lived all over all over the world. Um, so they had experienced lots of different friendships, um, you know, and it's, it's a really interesting topic. You know, the friendships that last through the years, the friendships that are applicable only to that place and time where you are, which is fine, you know, but it's fun to talk about this. Um, and I think people really appreciated a place to talk about that. Well, let's, let's take a little bit of time and go into it. What do you think the keys are? What's the key to a good friendship? Um, well, for one thing, it's, it's quite cultural. Um, the Europeans, and that's kind of a blanket term, it, it certainly would vary between countries, but generally speaking, um, European people take slower amounts of time to get to know you, but then it lasts. So if mm -hmm. you would ask an English person, how many friends do you have? They say, well, let me see, maybe five, maybe five. Now in the state of Texas, um, you know, how many friends do you have? Oh, too many to count, you mm -hmm. know, which is not a reflection at all on Texas people, but they consider um, that an acquaintance person, they would most likely frame that as a friend. Mm -hmm. 
one thing that drives me crazy about American people is when they say, oh, we'll call you up and have you over for beer and tacos by the pool. They never call. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. never call. Mm -hmm. You know, a British person would call me when we lived there and they would say, oh, good afternoon. I've got my diary. <laughs> and Phil and I would like to have you and Carl over for dinner on the 19th of November. Mm -hmm. 34 8 and i'm thinking what the hell does that mean <laughs> <laughs> so so you might wait a while for that invitation but it was genuine when it I, came when it came it came and you wrote it down and you went yep. and 7 34 8 o'clock means if you come at 7 30 you might get two g and t's which is gin and tonic mm -hmm. come at quarter to eight you're going to get one and if you come at eight o'clock you're going to sit out and eat with us <laughs> So I love um, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that. And I, there are a couple of things I want to make sure that that we get to. And this, this might seem like a funny transition from gin and tonics <laughs> and dinner and having a solid invite, but um, there's a particular Bible verse I know you wanted to lift up, and I, I think it, I think that that would be important for people to hear. Um, it being one of the important gifts in your suitcase. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy, because I had forgotten about it. Okay, this is, um, let's see, Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Um, and can I have another couple minutes on this to tie this into? Yes, I want you to talk about why that verse. I mean, the, I could take my Bible and flip it through, but what what is it about that? It's Psalm 27, uh, okay. 27, 14. So what, what is it about that verse that carries you? Well, I believe this would be our hmm, second time back in Texas. Um, I was part of a group of women who went into the grade schools and we had a little puppet show to introduce children to the instruments of the orchestra. And after one of those um, presentations, it was a lot of fun. I played Miss Piggy, you know, it was, it was the um, uh, Muppets. We all had Muppets characters and played different instruments. Okay, I'm, I'm picturing this. <laughs> yep, good go on. I was, I was Miss, you know, Miss Piggy. Um, I think I played the tuba. <laughs> it was, it was, kids really liked it. So these ladies, after this um, session at this, uh, I think it was a middle school, a couple of them or two or three of them were talking about their husbands worked for Conoco Oil Company and they said, oh gosh, you know, I have no idea what that'd be like living in Belgium. How in the world, I mean, if we got a family to move, we don't know anything about the daily life. I mean, are they going to be accepting of us, so forth and so on. And I. I said, I've had some experience in that realm. I said, come to the house. I'll get us some donuts. We'll sit down and we'll have coffee and donuts. So they came over and I talked with them for about two hours and they were very appreciative. Um, and about, oh, I don't know, four or five days later, the phone rang and one of the women said, you know, that was such help to us. And she said, I talked to my husband and he's got a phone number for you to call in Boulder, Colorado. 
uh, Prudential Intercultural Services based in New York and in Boulder, Colorado, and they do cross-cultural training courses. And I said, I have no idea what that is, but I will give them a call. So I called them and uh, they gave me an interview. And about a week later, they said they could use me in Houston. They started me out training children. Um, and we gave a very thorough two-day program in uh, history of the country to which the family was going. Um, some things about the school they'd be going to. It was a lot of work to prepare this. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I had kids from like age six to like 18. Um, you know, I still remember working with a little boy who was about seven years old and he was getting antsy. So we went outside and we hopped up and down a set of steps doing our numbers in Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was about 102 at the time. But um, and then, you know, they put me into the adult classes. And that to me was that was something I could never have done without, I felt like it was, you know, my time had come. Um, and, you know, the psychology, the experience, you had to have had two years of teaching experience. You had to have had two years of living internationally or you couldn't, they don't even consider you. I mean, it just, you know, they, one of the they says is that it takes at least a decade to become a true, to become an expert. And oh, I it. Yeah. there isn't, an, there isn't an end to that sentence, but there are many possible, you know, an expert at what, or, you know, whatever. But at that point in your life, you are, you are truly an expert in experience. You, you started our whole time together, lifting up the final part of that opening prayer poem was about kindness. Um, I really see you as the, the practical counselor because it isn't just about how the person is feeling and how they'll do emotionally, it's making them aware that they're practical resources and that that, that, that information is there for them. And um, I, I just feel sure that you bolstered people with a, a lot of confidence. And um, I, I really like that direction. I'm, I wanna open it up so that people can ask you questions. We have about five more minutes. I will just say that um, to, to rapidly go to where Carl and Carl Ann are today is that they intentionally retired to Vermont, choosing Vermont for its beautiful outdoor, recreational and, and arts and music. And Carl Ann, we are so glad to have you in our community. So please unmute yourselves and let me know somehow that you would like to say something if you have a comment or a question. Donna? Uh, well, on a much lesser scale, um, my, my sister was a Navy wife and um, she did a similar kind of thing for Navy wives when they would move into town anew and settle in. And then that, that skill um, really transferred over into her life as a realtor. Uh, when, when she sold someone a house, um, she was never really finished. She would always go back and say, well, how are you settling in? Right. Uh, how are you doing with the school district? Did you mm -hmm. find a dry cleaners? Have you found a mechanic? You know, she really, really worked at helping people settle into the community. Like right. the, the sale was never just the thing. Exactly. She, was, she was really doing what you were doing at, at a much larger scale. 
Yeah, and she she got that um, really from her experience as a as a lonely Navy wife, having been moved around a lot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I told, so, um, Patty. So I and just want to say two things. I, every time I come to Spirit Seekers, these connections are unbelievable. I'm from Pittsburgh, and I have a master's in education in school library media. So I think I'd love to meet your son. <laughs> but um, the other thing is, oh my, Carlin, your fingers fly across those keys. And your feet, it's like you're dancing. I mean, I don't know if you, how much you would have to practice or if it just comes naturally and you close your eyes. Oh, I practice. <laughs> it is so beautiful to see. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Patty. Laurie, were you, did you have something? No, I'm just listening in. This okay. is my first spirit secret, but yeah. Oh, we're glad you came. Thank you for coming. Yes, <laughs> I, I enjoyed hearing about your world travels in Libya and, uh, oh, and Norway. And I'm sure coming back to Texas was not an easy feat. <laughs> Culturally, et cetera. Yes. Janice Clements, your hand was up. Yeah. And then I'll get to you, Janice. Hey, Janice. Um, um, I just want to say, Carlan, uh, what a delight to hear some of the things I haven't already heard before. But um, but you all should know that in addition to the gifts of music she shares with us, um, she has for many years been sharing her gifts uh, described throughout the arc of her life till now uh, with oh. a pastoral care team. She's wonderful. That's Thank correct. You. Yes, that's absolutely great. Janice Claypool. Um, Carl Ann, back, back when you were making those little cards way back, in the very beginning, and you were talking about the machine. Yeah. Was that machine by any any name of the mimeograph machine? No, no, oh. I used those two. This was a letter press. Oh, okay, because I, I know about the mini, the mimeograph machine. Hi, I'm, I'm going to have to run because I actually have a Zoom cocktail hour. <laughs> well, enjoy if you yeah. want. But uh, Carlene, I wanted to say that that was terrific. This is my first Spirit Seeker. Some of them I've forgotten about, but a lot of them I've just been busy at three. Um, but it was it was wonderful. It was wonderful to get to know about you. And, and your, uh, what you sent to me after my father had passed and our you know a couple conversations it was really it was really wonderful it was very heartwarming and um you know it was just terrific I, I appreciate that and I always enjoy seeing you at church and one more question the picture behind you is that are they like British people or are they um yes brass rubbing um Lucy and I were talking about it earlier okay it was a tombstone right it looks like cathedrals and it's brass and you can you can't do them anymore because the brass was wearing down but you take a piece of black paper or whatever you choose and tape it to the floor then you trace with your finger around the raised surface and then you can take the gold crayon and and fill it in and then Ooh. clean up your edges and get it framed Arlene oh. made that Terrific. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a great memory. It's not something you picked up, it's something you did. So. Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> so before I close, does anybody else have anything to say? She's just a pivoter. She is just a pivoter from way back. Boy, every place you are and everything you did, you just kind of pivoted and figured it out. You are amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you very much. Nice to see all of you. Thanks for coming. Me too. Thank Arlen, you. I think everybody should think about where are the positive threads of continuity in their lives and what's in their, their what's suitcase. The what, what, what are the skills in there? Um, you know, I just think oh, you've really so given us some beautiful It's a good image. Here. It's a wonderful image. So, And I do have to run. <laughs> Thank you so I much. I, I so have to talk to you a hour, too. Yeah, so let's all talk to you Before everybody goes, I'm, I have a little closing. And um, I also want to let you know, um, you'll see in our newsletter from yesterday, um, and it's on the uh, website today, on the First Congregational Church website, that during Advent, um, we will be on December 4th, 11th, and 18th on those three Fridays. I'm inviting folks to tell stories around the themes of Advent of peace, hope, joy, and love. And I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a little different format for those three weeks. So if you've got a story in one of those themes, I want you to get in touch with me and I'll be reaching out to people too. So we'll have two or three, four people tell stories each, each Friday uh, in December. We will not be meeting next week. So here's a closing from Guide My Feet. This is Marion Wright Edelman again, for those of you who've been here before. Um, but I, I thought that this um, fit uh, Carlan and Carlan, we're so grateful for you sharing today. So let me close with these words. God did not call us to succeed. God called us to serve. God did not call us to win. God called us to work. God did not call us to live long. God called us to live for him. God did not call us to be happy. God called us to be hopeful. God did not call us to fame. God called us to faith. God did not call us to seek power. God called us to seek peace. God did not call us to loot the earth and each other. God called us to love our earth and each other. And I, I just want to close with this strong feeling that I have that those parents running that Tri-Town newsletter <laughs> would be so proud of their daughter and, and what you did with your life from their really awesome uh, launching of you with skills and confidence. Thank so you. God bless Carlin and God bless all of you. Yes. And could you we'll post that, you Lucy? The, um, the Marion Wright Edelman? Yes. Sure. Thanks. Okay. Look on the Facebook page. Right God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thank Bye.